Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network. MJ in memory of my sister, Marcia Joyce. And this is going to be really different. The author of Yellow Honeysuckle is here, is the sweetest. This is so cool. We're going to learn about hunting and a whole bunch of things that people never learn about. And I think you're going to really enjoy this because Bill Fentress is here. Welcome to MJ Network. I am really excited. Thank you, Fran. I appreciate very much you having me, and I'm excited to talk with you. It's, it's, I've been looking forward to this for some time. Thank you very much. Me too. You know what it is? I try so hard to get these interviews when the books come out, and what can I do? I was glad I was, glad I was able to fit it in June. So how come you decided to share your memories? Tell us a little bit about the, the history behind this book, because like I said, it's very different from anything I've ever read. That's probably why I wasn't single for another murder. This was different. kept my interest. <laughs> Well, well, thank you um, for that, and and I guess it started well. It started way back, probably when I was in college, which for me was over over forty years ago. Um, I enjoyed writing in college, and uh, went to. I'm from North Carolina. Went to University of North Carolina, and um, enjoyed it thoroughly up there. I actually majored in geology, but I enjoyed the English courses more than anything up there. And got out. I ended up in banking, which is a long story. But I always wrote a little bit at a time. I never published anything, but I would write just um, for personal reasons. And about 20 years ago, um, my wife and I, a little over 20 years ago now, my wife and I had a unique experience with a dog, Mac. And Mac is in the book. His story is in the book. That story is in the book. And it mm-hmm. was such an unusual experience that I decided – hey, this needs to be written down, and I'm just going to make a, a story out of it. I always wanted to write something that could be published, and I decided to write the story about what happened with Mac and spent several nights at the computer in the kitchen and knocked it out and shared it with a few people. My wife liked it. Of course, you know, she's my wife, so you never know. But mm-hmm. I shared it with some friends, and they <laughs> liked it. And um, you know, I was like, okay, well, I put it aside, and you know, my career was important then, so I didn't write a book then. But um, I said maybe one day I'll do something with it, and um, I just put it aside. And then as time went on and I, sh- I had other memories with friends and family, and uh, most of them revolve around the outdoors in the book, hunting and fishing. And But it's really about families and, and friendships. And um, But I, as I had these experiences that were important to me, I decided to write them, write about them, and primarily for my daughter. Uh, my daughter, she's 19 now. Um, she mm. was born in 03. Um, but I wanted her to have a written history of some of the things that her father enjoyed growing up and, and in his adulthood, and that, in his adulthood. And that's 
primarily why I decided to write the book to start with. There were some other things that transpired that turned it into something else, but um, I've enjoyed every every minute of it, and they're all true stories, and um, you know they're important to me, important memories for me. I can identify with that. I'm glad you did, because right before my sister died, she said, "Either you're going to become a fat couch potato, which I'm not, or why don't you write stories, write a book." I said, you're going to be sorry because I'm going to write the true stories growing up with you in the South Bronx, and you're not going to like it. <laughs> yes, and I did. And she got to edit it and everything and criticized me. And she said, are you sure you came from this family? I said, I'm going to wonder. My last book, Sisters, Two Sisters from the Bronx, is all of our true stories growing up in the Bronx. So, you know, you know what? The memories are great. So tell, tell us, the first one with your granddaddy was exciting. How, how did you choose that one? And why is that the most important one? Because he taught you hunting and stuff like that, things that most people don't know about. Well, he... He did, and you know, he was my mother's father. He's Granddaddy Mayo, and um, he. My, this is in the book too. My father died when I was two years old from cancer, mm. and so um, you know, my mother remarried when I was eight, and and my stepfather taught me a lot about the outdoors also. Um, but Granddaddy, in my formative years, you know, when I was five, six years old, uh, he he started teaching me how to shoot with a little twenty-two rifle. He taught mm. me gun safety. That was primarily what he was teaching was how to be safe with a firearm. That was very important mm. and, and, and is to all of us. But those afternoons I spent with him in his backyard um, shooting at paper targets and having him over my right shoulder telling me how to handle a, a firearm safely, uh, I knew would, would one day be an introduction into this world of the outdoors that I so thoroughly enjoy. And I would sit with Granddaddy as I matured into a teenager. I would sit with him and in, in, in afternoons in his living room and listen to his stories. And the stories went way back to 1900 when he was a young man. Mm-hmm. And I was just enthralled listening to him talk about the outdoors. And he did everything from fish with nets for fish, and and he 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 uh, caught oysters and. You know, they hunted uh, deer and bear and and to eat. Um, you know, he was a Depression-era uh, adult, and um, people uh, used that to um, sustain themselves on in eastern North Carolina. And I was just enthralled with all the outdoor stories, and, and he got me kind of hooked at an early age and, and uh, oversaw me being raised um, between those ages of, of uh, you know, five and seven or so by teaching me the right mm. way to, to the right way to do it and the right way to handle a firearm um so he he was early on an important person in my life well he taught you because of hunting but he didn't teach you what people are learning about guns today unfortunately so that that is, that is really an important thing too and the fact that you like the outdoors made it even better so he must have been so thrilled about it oh about he was it. yeah yeah if you grew up in in uh, it's certainly in this area, rural eastern North Carolina, in the era that I grew up mm-hmm. in. If you didn't spend time outdoors, there wasn't a lot going on. I mean, you know, you you hunted or fished in in these rural areas, or you didn't do much. Mm-hmm. And gun safety was a big part of it. Um, and if you weren't going to handle that firearm safely, then you didn't get to handle it. It was that simple. And um, you were oversaw and brought up the right way and with respect. Um, of firearms, and um, that's the way I've brought my daughter up 
um, too, and she's very safe and very respectful of it. Um, the problem today is that you're right. Gun safety. If you're going to do hunting, or if you're going to have a gun, you need to have, you know, more restrictions so people understand how to use them. And that that that's the scary part, because you 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 will learn. You were taught the right way. Your daughter's taught the right way. You're not using it to to shoot anything other than what you're supposed to be your your target with ducks or whatever. So tell us about your partners and why they were special. And then River Road. That's 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 different. Yeah. Well, the partners. Um... You know, there is a, a chapter in the book called Partners, and yep. I, what I tried to to relay there was how important these people have been in my life. They're all hunting or fishing partners, and they're mm-hmm. everything from a dog. Pepper was my first dog as a boy, and she was my first hunting partner and first partner in life, really. And then there's a couple of guys that I grew up with from kindergarten on. One of those, unfortunately, has passed away. And we have spent so many glorious times in the outdoors, um, hunting and fishing, quail hunting and duck hunting, and um, talking and laughing and enjoying ourselves. And they've um, those two guys that I've known since kindergarten have been very influential in my life in a number of ways, and, and I hope I have in their lives too. One of my partners that I covered, um, I met later in life in my 40s by – answering an ad in the paper for a lap puppy and um, Luke and Luke is in the book uh, too and mm-hmm. he and I became very good friends and duck hunting and turkey hunting together and I've watched mm-hmm. him raise his son and he's watched me raise our daughter and uh, we've taken them on hunting and fishing trips with us and and um, you know we've become close families and close friends and and then finally um, you know, my daughter became my hunting partner. Now she's uh, she's uh, got the social influences of any 19-year-old, so um, she doesn't you know do this with me all the time. But um, she became I raised her in the outdoors. I wanted her to have that benefit of being raised in nature and seeing nature at work, and I just think it adds a stability to people that you can't get other places. So Sarah became my hunting partner um, uh, later after she was born, and she still is. She called me um, from school. She's a freshman at Carolina, and she called me in October and said, Daddy, can I go deer hunting with you on fall break? And I was like, oh, my goodness, you certainly can. I never expected to get that call, but um, she wanted to come home and and go with me. And, of course, you know, having a freshman at, at a university and having them call you and wanting to do anything with you, (laughs) <laughs> you know, once they've left the coop is is uh, nice, but partners have made the experiences in the outdoors just what they are, Fran. They're, they, you know, I, I spend a lot of time alone in the woods and the fields too. But when you spend it with mm. people that you're close to, and you build the connection that these experiences have, and you see glorious sunrises and sunsets, and you. You see animals in their natural environment, and um, you work hard to achieve your mutual goals, and you work with dogs who are trained well, and you see turkeys come right up to you, and you witness mm-hmm. nature. And when you do that with people, when, when you do that with close friends, it builds that bond even closer. And to me, I, I'm probably prejudiced, but um, 
to me, the outdoor sports, there's nothing like it to build that bond between people. And, and when you share in such intensities outside, it it, um, it just makes those partnerships um, even more special to us. I know what you're saying. The only outdoor I, – I was overweight when I was growing up, but I could punch a ball better than anybody. And I could hit a ball better than anybody. And basically, they didn't want me on the baseball or the punch ball team until my father said, you know, give her a chance. So they didn't have to worry because I always got a home run. They didn't have to worry about anything. I just wow. of, I said, I want to be outside with everybody, and I just walked around. Now, the only outdoors of the woods I got was my nephew, God bless the little pain, um, used to hunt frogs. And if he lost one, I had to go in the woods and get him another one with his friends. <laughs> Which well, was no you know, fun because I got I got skunked. <laughs> it, well, it you know it's I, where I grew up is um, is in eastern North Carolina. It, it 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 has a lot of natural beauty in in this area, mm. and um, I feel so blessed to have been born yeah. and raised in this area. And I'm and I'm sitting in our old country store right now um, in in this same rural. rural oh, nice. Setting. And um, which the same one that's in the book, and I'm sitting in here right now. But the when I, when you're growing up, you don't realize a lot of things. And um, mm-hmm. one of the things I didn't realize is how blessed I was to have these experiences. And you, as you get older, you know, and you hopefully wise up a little bit, um, you do begin to realize whatever experiences you've had, how blessed you are to have had them. And I, I wouldn't trade. Um, these experiences that I've had in the outdoors for anything. I mean, it has um, it has just been a, a tremendous influence on my life, and and it's how we have raised our daughter. And I think it gives you a unique perspective on things mm-hmm. that you can't get um, by not being outside and and sitting in nature and um, you know, I I don't want to pontificate here for everybody, but I, I it, it is a strong feeling I have, and I think we were designed as human beings to be in nature and and give us that relaxation that nature can provide. It doesn't have to be hunting and fishing; it can be hiking and and uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, bird watching or or canoeing or camping or or anything like that. But I think. It behooves all of us to to be in nature and and frankly to raise our kids uh, in nature. I think it's important. That's my feeling. I think people it. should do that so they appreciate the environment and don't destroy it, which is really important I agree. too. I agree. Yeah, I agree. So, what was the River Road a sanctuary mm-hmm. for you? I want the only thing that was missing were the pictures. I wanted the pictures yeah. of the woods. Yeah. I, <laughs> Well, you know, and, and thank you for asking about that, friend. The, 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 I'll, let me cover the picture first, and then I'll tell you why it was a sanctuary for me. Um, I didn't. I had a, a a friend of mine who's an artist. So I had her do a, a black and white rendition of it for the book. I didn't have a picture because the river road has completely changed now. It, it's a it goes mm. to a campground. It, there's a campground on the edge of the river down there where it was all woods before, and, and that's fine. But it's it's just completely different now, and and it changed really not long after I left for Chapel Hill. It it, it the campground wasn't there, but the woods and everything changed, which is which is fine. You know, life changes and moves on. 
the river road that I wrote about in the book was a uh, a sanctuary for me. It was when I when I was a little boy, Mama would take me down there and and my sister, and to describe the road, it was a winding gravel and dirt path, a two lane path mm-hmm. or two track path through the woods. And it was quiet. It always had straw on it, so your your tires never made a sound. And you could literally creep through that road, and, and you were all the mm. time going toward the river. Now, think of this as a child. I'm six years old, and the river's up ahead, which I'm excited about swimming or fishing. And so we begin this journey down this road, and you're winding through big, tall pine trees on the left. And then there's a hardwood ridge on the right. And Mm. you come around these curves, and there's always something. We would see a deer or a squirrel or a pileated woodpecker or, you know, quail, which were in the story. And then at the end of the journey down this road, and it was only maybe a half mile long. I don't even think it was a half mile. But at the end of that journey, it opened up onto Bay River, which is uh, an expansive river here in East North Carolina. And, And trawlers back then would go up and down the river fishing and You'd have seagulls out there, and, of course, to a kid six years old, I just wanted to run and jump in the river, um, you know, go swimming. Um, and it was uh, it was just a nice time. And as I got older, I would uh, ride my bicycle down there, and I'd spend hours by myself fishing on the pier down there. And then as I got a little older, I would um, hunt down that road, too. There were squirrels down there. And mm-hmm. but I'd just go and sit in the woods and um, watch the animals and and um it was relaxation for me i craved it early on and the river mm. road uh, provided that um it was um you know, just uh it was just a special place growing up and uh, i hated to see it changed uh, it changed right mm. when i left to go to college and I, I hated that and um but you know life changes and and you know you move on to other things but i'll never forget it and, I, and that's why i wrote about it because it meant so much to me well, I'm glad you did because it gave me something else to learn about. That's why I love reading because I never, you never know what I'm going to pick up. <laughs> and that's what my professor kept telling me. He says, you have a habit of picking up something in a book that nobody else will. That's much <laughs> my, my, my thing. And that I try, even when I write a review, I try to come up with something. Then when I wrote your review and I'm looking at it this morning and I'm saying, wait a minute, I got to add another paragraph in the front because that'll say tell what the book is really trying, what it's trying to say. It, it, it just happens. So well, I'll, you had, I'll tell you, I'm sorry, Fran. I, I, no, go I, ahead. I'll tell you, it, it, I could definitely when I got you know your. Um, your initial feedback, I could definitely tell you read the story. Your 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 questions were were so deep and in depth and hit hit the nail on the head on what the book mm-hmm. is about. And you know, it's not just hunting and fishing. It's it's relationships and what the mm-hmm. and the emotions wrapped up in these things. And I, one thing that has amazed me. I mean, we were talking a while ago, and you know, you're uh, from New York City originally, and I have met, you're probably used to hearing this, but, you know, for a, a boy that was raised in eastern North Carolina who, who finally wrote a book, um, I have met, I've had an editor from Boston. I've had a, uh, a copy editor from um, uh, New Hampshire. 
and a, uh, a formatter from New York and a, a marketing person from Philadelphia. And it's been such a and, – and now you, talking to you on this podcast, it's been such a grand experience getting to know all these people. And the editor who helped me, I had no idea he would actually like the book. I mean, he's in Boston, and I was like, well, I'm not sure he's going to like it. Yeah, the they don't tell you very, very much. They don't tell you either. <laughs> so, but, you know, he told me – he told me, he said, Bill, I actually liked your book. And, and that meant a lot to me from the get-go, yeah. you know, to have somebody – uh, up there in Boston, who doesn't really have an affinity for Eastern North Carolina, who, who liked the book, and mm. um, you know, it meant a lot. It gave me some confidence early on when I was dealing with people, and and it meant a lot to me to, to have people, you know, this to have people tell you they like what you've written is um, is is uh, just a great thing to have happen. So, well, I wrote my last book as Population Zero. It's about the world how I see it. I made it up. Nine worlds that you wouldn't want to live in. And then I had a dead person come back and experience it, hoping to teach people to be better in this one and appreciate the world. A world with darkness, a world with no water, a world with no with no air, just huh. a dark forest world, and they didn't quite get it. And my, I would work with a regular copy editor or whatever. They never told me they liked the book, ever. They just hmm. said it was interesting. And I said, you know what, that's okay because I'll stand by what I wrote. So when you wrote the summary of the cabins, how did you come up with it? And then the other part that was interesting was about Uncle Simmons and the Huns, especially. I love doves; they're so beautiful. <laughs> they, well, they they are they are pretty animals, and they and they are swift flyers too. Um, on the cabin they fly story, above here all the time. <laughs> oh, they're they're we. I see them. I heard them this morning when I was getting ready for for work. Um, on the cabin story. Um, that was one of those when I had about um, I had about half the book written, and I decided when I, I had about forty thousand words written, and I decided, okay, I'm gonna write a book. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna make this into a book. And so then I started thinking, what has been important to me? Uh, what other things have been important other than what I've already written about? And cabins was one of them. I said, you know, I've stayed in so many. Uh, woods and uh, woodsy and outdoors type cabins in my hunting and fishing life that um, I think they deserve something. And so I started thinking back to all these cabins I've stayed in, and they were each unique, and they had unique characteristics, and not just the wood and the foundation and the you know the roofs and the roofs and all that. That that that's part of them, but what what is unique about them? And what I tried to relay in the in the story cabins uh, is the experiences that I've had there, and I'm sure other outdoors people have had in various cabins. In the excitement that you feel when you're staying in these cabins, you know, whether you're going fishing or hunting the next morning or that afternoon, and the camaraderie that I've experienced with good friends and family in these cabins. And the good eating, um, frankly, you know, uh, we've uh, you know had very good meals and uh, you know uh, wild game and and steaks and just about every conceivable dish, lasagna, everything you can conceive of, we've had. And you know, you have everything from wood stoves with you know the smell of of that and the crackling of coals in the in an old mm. honey camp. I have that here in the place I'm at now, and you know, in the winter time we have a wood stove here and and 
it's all these smells and the the laughter and the experiences both inside the cabin and outside when you're in nature experiencing what you're there to experience. All those were so important to me that I decided to write a story. And when I started writing it, I was like, oh, man, all these cabins started coming back to um, to in my memory. And so I just started with one and, and ended up with um, with my favorite cabin, which, you know, it ironically has absolutely nothing to do with hunting or fishing. Um, but it's a cabin in Colorado. Uh, where mm-hmm. my wife and I spent our honeymoon, and I'll let the book, you know, you know the story. So I'll let the, you know, let the readers um, find out the rest of that. But that—that's right. That was—that's um, my favorite um, cabin, still is, and and uh, I know exactly where it is, and uh, I would, I, I'd love to go back there sometime. It's a beautiful, Colorado's beautiful, and it's a beautiful location in Colorado too. Well, I'm looking through the book, which is in front of me which I have not given away. And, yeah, there are some pictures in here, especially the first one of the the granddaddy story. I could mm-hmm. almost feel his face there. <laughs> I could almost I could almost see, I could almost feel that he that my grandfather was my best pal. Mm. If I was in trouble and I never got into trouble, but if my mother thought I did something, my grandfather was right there say, "Don't even try it. She's perfect." <laughs> and my mother That's what they're oh, there for. I <laughs> <laughs> no, I was not a bad kid. It's just that my mother was a perfectionist, and I often wonder if I was really her child, because she didn't do it to my sister or my brother, only me. And if something wasn't perfect, what helped me? I had to write it over and do it over. So oh, well. the other oh, thing man. is that it was, yeah, it was hard. If I couldn't get 100 on a test, if I got 99, I had to write the whole test over. For real, that's oh, probably why I'm such a... That, yeah, she was tough. And oh, I don't know why. Goodness. My sister... My sister used to say to me, I don't know, I said, maybe you're right. She told everybody I was adopted. She Maybe she knew something I didn't know, because I don't remember a lot growing up there. But I don't care. Oh. And then she, oh, she, yeah. she once said it to me, and I said to her, you know what? You're right. I might be adopted, but I'm sure it's all smarter than all of you. That's for sure. <laughs> so that shut everybody well, I up. that's the way to handle that. <laughs> yeah. I just said, I'm just smarter than all of you. You know, it's really funny because whenever I went to my, like, you go hunting with your family and stuff, I would go to my family's, um, you know, Passover and Easter and all whatever, and there would be somebody that needed help to write a term paper, and that's what I wound up doing. So I didn't want to go after a while. I still write my nieces <laughs> and nephews' help papers. I still help to this day. So oh. obviously I'm not that bad. <laughs> so this is this <laughs> is the next question really is so important because holidays are great. And I was re- I was ready to you know email you for the food to send it to me for Thanksgiving from your granddaddies. So what was special about that? You know the the holidays and granddaddy. The holidays are so much fun that they don't exist anymore. That's the sad part. Well, you know you're 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 right. I think and well we keep the tradition up here. Um, I, I I think but granddaddies. Um, you're going back to that picture on the first story, and, and that picture was actually mm-hmm. taken right in front of where I'm um, sitting right now. I was, um, you know, about eight years old at that time, and it was right in front of our old country store. Um, but we would have Thanksgiving. The, you know, the story in the book is Thanksgiving and Granddaddy's, and, and mm-hmm. it's a relatively short story. But the impact of those uh, Thursdays, Thanksgiving Thursdays, were were monumental on me. I mean, I we would go up, and uh, you know, my mother had three other siblings, and they all had children, 
and uh, we were all cousins, and we would have big get-togethers at Granddaddy's um, every Thanksgiving, and, and you know, big table. And of course, the kids, we sat at you know the the side table for kids, like everybody sat at. Or actually, there was two side tables for kids. There was little kids like me, little younger ones, and then there was the bigger kids, which are I was basically the baby of the cousins. But we would have, I think, probably unique to to our area is we would always have um, uh, deer meat, Vincent, on there, and we would have bear meat sometimes, um, which mm. I thoroughly enjoyed eating bear the way that my, my grandmother cooked it. Um, it was good. The deer, the, the venison was, was excellent. And, of course, we have turkey and um, collards and what we call dumplings, which were cornmeal dumplings. That's a, kind of a southern food that I grew up eating and, and loving and sometimes we would have oysters um, oysters are big here in coastal north carolina and back then the, they would fix um something called oyster dressing which was basically stuffing with oysters in it now i'm gonna be honest with you i i didn't like it i still don't like it i like oysters but i don't like oyster dressing but all the adults would eat oyster dressing and the kids would eat the regular um stuffing and fruit jello and um, you know, the collards were good by that time. They, you like to get a little frost on usually before you eat them. And um, it was just a combination of uh, traditional southern cooking mixed with some wild game. And then, and it was always cold. Back then, it was, I don't, I don't ever remember Thanksgivings where it was 75 degrees like it is sometimes. Now, mm-hmm. it was cold or cool, at least in brilliant. I, my memories are always it was sunshiny and brilliant. And we would go out and um, pick up pecans. Granddaddy had three pecan trees in his yard, and we would pick up pecans. And um, mm. you know, I tried to relay what what that those short times, those short Thursdays, uh, meant to me, and I think the rest of our family too. And um, you know, it was time with Granddaddy in his aging years, and and um, you know, he was uh, you know he was the patriarch for all of us. Uh, just to, um, I looked up to him a lot, obviously. They they were special, special times. My my grandfather came over on a boat from Ellis Island. He came over and he was you know they asked him when they got here what his last name was, and he couldn't spell it. They changed it. Oh wow! Him. Oh wow! His last name was Boshan, and my I I had a cousin that I used to write to. I know what happened to her, so they changed it to Goldberg, and he said that's great because Goldberg means mountain of gold. He came here and he sold apples on a street corner with five kids and a wife. And he, oh, he wow. out of that, I don't know how he did it. He created um, a, a laundromat after that, and he built a store that we all had to work in when we were younger. My father had to. All of his children had to work in Arista cleaners. He wanted Arista because it means the best. Mm-hmm. And he wound mm-hmm. up buying cleaning stores for all of his children and all of his sons and his son-in-laws, my father and my uncles included. And I, I just don't know how he did it. And the only thing is is that when Grandpa said to come for Thanksgiving or wherever, you better be there. Mm-hmm. There was no such thing as not being And my grandmother's living room was the size of my, of my elbow. It was small. <laughs> so once you sat down, you weren't getting up. Forget it. So <laughs> well, I'll it's, never you know, forget it. I mean, my cousin, I didn't even, they barely talked to me hardly. So another character in the book is my favorite. Tell us about Pepper. Oh, yeah, Pepper. Well, Pepper was my first dog. Um, and, I know. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, bo- a boy's first dog. I think is very special, and and she followed mm-hmm. me everywhere. I mean, we I walked all over the neighborhood here, and and um, uh, you know, later with a with a BB gun, and um, Pepper would follow me everywhere. She'd stick right by my side. She, I swear, the dog mm-hmm. could understand English. I mean, it was amazing, and uh, I would tell her stuff, and it was like she was listening to me, and um, we were just pals for two straight years and, and she walked all over the neighborhood and, and um, of course I tell her one story in there about her getting a chicken and, and that was, you know, it wasn't funny to me then. It was funny to me years later and it's funny to me now. But um, she, uh, the, the dog would look both ways uh, before she crossed the road. Now I know, I know some people <laughs> are out there smirking right now. I know they're smirking and I wrote that in the book that I'm sure when people read that, they're like, yeah, I don't believe that for a minute, but I'm telling you, the dog would look both ways before she crossed the mm-hmm. road. And um, smart, just street smart, kind of a street smart dog. And um, she was, she came at a great time in my life, 89 years old, for a boy being raised in the country or his special years. And, and That's um, nice. She came at a special time, and I will always remember that dog. And, and her picture is in the book. That's um, that's her, um, you know, with me in that double rocking chair, which I write about in the book. That was a picture my mother took. I was ill as a hornet, and, and uh, Mama was laughing when she took that picture. And, and uh, um, you know, I understand why she was laughing now. I didn't I didn't understand it at, at nine years old, but I, I understand why she was laughing now. Oh, there he is. Her. Oh, <laughs> yep, that's, that that's her right there. She was, she was sulking just like I was sulking because Mama told me no to something I'd ask, and I was mad about it. And, you know, she was laughing. Um, so it was a it was a nice story. I I did not know that, that fifty years later I'd write a story about it. But uh, it, you know, Fran, I can remember. Um, I was talking to some other guys about this. I can remember uh, fifty years ago very well, like it was yesterday. When I was a boy, certain things stand out, and those are things I wrote mm-hmm. about. I, I can't remember. My, my wife will tell you I can't remember what she told me yesterday, and that's true. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, you don't I, want to. I, well, I'm not going to say I don't want to. I'm just going to say I don't remember it, and and you know, I'm guilty. I just I plead guilty to it. She's you know I married an angel, and um, she lets me by with it. But um, I think she does wonder how I can remember stuff when I was eight, and I can't remember what she told me yesterday. But uh, you know, I, my husband my husband hates that I can remember everything. I remember what he wore when I met him in 1997, 25 years ago. It was a blind oh date. I could tell you what he was wearing. I could tell you what oh he ate for lunch. He hates oh, when I do that. Know, my wife has told me, we met on a blind date, too, and, I, and she's told me what I was wearing. And I, and I look at her, how can you remember that? I couldn't tell you what she was wearing. I knew she was um, pretty, and I, I liked her as soon as I met her, but um, I couldn't tell you what she was wearing. I mean, just honestly, I don't know what she was wearing, but she could tell me what I was wearing right down to my shoes, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. I uh, you know, I I would never remember that and everything. You had asked me uh, a couple of uh, minutes ago about Uncle Simmons, um, and and you know that I don't know if you want me to go back to that question or not. We we can move on if you want to, but if you'd like for me to go back to Uncle Simmons, I can certainly talk about him too. Well, I want to talk about before I forget. Because I don't want to forget today. All the tomorrow, I'm so excited. I can't believe it. William P. Woodward is an intel officer, former information officer, the handler 
you got to read it. It's fantastic. Monday, yeah, listen to me, Tess Garrison. On the 29th, Cindy McDonald, Double Dog Dare, and he, we're making up a show. Only I don't usually do three, but his wife had COVID. And how could I say no to a making up murder? It's not a girl's best friend. $20 million diamond. Wait till you see what happens to it. This is really cool. And then Fran's taking off in July, and she starts back on August 2nd, the first light of a new year. And there's a whole lot more coming on MJ Network. So this had to be exciting. The last hunt. Tell us about Luke and his last hunt, and why was Luke able to get the ducks? You wanted mm. to get the ducks. I know that. Yeah, that's that's a great question, Fran. That was, um, <clears throat> you know, it's a, a relatively short story in, in, about Luke. Luke was a mm. great dog. He, he and he and Pepper and Mac were were just fantastic dogs in my lifetime. Different different mm. times in my life. Luke was a yellow lab, and um, uh, he was a great pet. Daughter loved him to death, mm. as we all did. But he was also a good duck dog, and. He was beyond his prime. He was uh, 12, I think, and um, we had some ducks in a beaver pond that my buddy Herb had found, and um, mm-hmm. it was the last day of the season, and it was um, uh, the temperature was, was cold. And um, his dog uh, could not go. His dog had some medical problems, if I recall, and, but Luke could go. And I knew it would be a tough hunt at 12 years old, but I, he, he was a strong dog, and I, I knew he could do it. Um, and anyway, long story short, uh, the last, uh, 20 minutes of the day, uh, we had the ducks come in and, and we shot our limit of ducks and, and, um, then we had to get them. There were, there were, you know, various places in the beaver pond. And, and, um, so I sent Luke, that was his job to get the ducks. And we picked up some too, but, um, anyway, at 12 years old in that cold water, he, um, you know, he wore out, um, not life threatening wise, but he, it, it wore him down pretty quickly and, and um, so, you know, we got we packed up all our gear and we had to head out. Well, I didn't want him swimming in that cold water um, because he he had gotten worn out and everything. So, Herb and I, Herb Herb's like we're you know we're going we're going to take Luke. You and I are going to haul him out. I said, yes, sir, definitely. And so I carried him away, and Luke was happy as a bug and rug. But I carried him away, and then Herb carried him away. So we had to walk about um, I'm going to say 200 yards through the through the water to get out and so we did that and um we got out and put him on the ground of course he was he was fine and um he uh um he, he ran around a little bit when i put him in the truck but i knew then that that would be the last real hunt that he would go on the last hunt that that he loved to do he lived for it and and the to answer your question, it's mm. important because these dogs are bred to do this. This is it, it, it's what they absolutely live to do. They love every minute of it. And if you're a hunter and you walk out and you see that dog that wants to go with you because he's been so many times with you and he is just itching to go, it's what he lives and breathes. Um, then you want to take him more than anything, and you want to see that joy in his eyes, and you want to see him just living life. And and even though he was older, he lived life that afternoon of that last hunt, and it was uh, it was a nice time. But I knew on the ride home that night that that it would be um, it would be his last. He couldn't he couldn't physically do it anymore. But he did it. 
and the drive that you see in dogs. I tried to relay this in the story, but the drive that you see in dogs to do that um, is extraordinary. It's another one of those signs of nature, I think. Well, if you look on page 216, you'll see him. And then it's the 209 or 210 is, is the other dog is Pepper. Don't think I didn't mm-hmm. find it. Mm-hmm. I did. So another chapter that really was interesting was the last one, titled Signs. What five signs do you think are the most important? And tell us about the watch. I mean, that was interesting, too. Well, you know, that story was, I've told a lot of people, that story was the most difficult for me to write. When I, when I formulated mm-hmm. in my head what I was going to write about, it's such a... Um, is such a difficult subject to for me. I'm just say for me mm-hmm. to write about um, because it's it's not it, it's not completely tangible. It's more of an intangible subject, the theme of it. And but I had these two experiences um, that I describe in that story that were extraordinary experiences. Both one of them in the outdoors and one of them around my mother's death. And um, I, I've never had anything like that happen before or since. And, you know, I, I tried to relate it to signs that we see in nature. Um, you know, the one thing that's always amazed me is how uh, salmon will, will spend years out in the ocean. And then when it's time mm-hmm. for them to, to spawn, they come back up the same, str- same stream and way up in the headwaters of a stream where they were born and from out in the ocean. And how they find that and go back to the – the same location is one of those mysteries. I've, it's just extraordinary to me. And we have ducks come down to this area every year. They fly thousands of miles, and they come to the exact locations. They've tracked them and tagged them, and they come to exact locations they've come before. Now, how does a duck find that in the dark? They're flying in the dark a lot of times. It's a mystery. Um, you know, you, you there's certain signs out there, tracks that, that you can look at if you're outdoors and Turkey tracks comes to mind if you know what you're looking for. Uh, a male, a gobbler's track is longer. The middle prong is longer than a hen. And you can see different signs that nature gives you that I think tweaks us to realize that there is more in this world than than just, you know, being on your cell phone all day long and, you know, worrying about getting to work. I, I just think that it's given us to show us that, there's more to this life than than the the uh, the shallow things that we humans get wrapped up in sometimes, and that's what I've tried to relay in the story. And going to your watch, your question about the watch, um, which mm-hmm. is a, a highlight of of one of those happenings um, in that last story. That that watch was given to me by my mother. It was my daddy's watch, mm-hmm. and once again, I lost my father when I was two, and. Um, that watch, I didn't even know Mama had it. And, uh, it's a gold Hamilton watch, and Mama gave it to me when I got out of college. And I had it fixed up. It didn't work, but it just I took it to a jeweler, and he replaced some springs and cleaned it up. It was beautiful. It is beautiful. I still have it. I still wear it. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I got it fixed up. It was important to me. It's a connection to my father, uh, and I worn it all throughout my business career and, and important um Events. And back then, I wore it hunting, which is <laughs> which is part of the story, and I won't go into all mm. the details. But the the happening around that watch was so uh, extraordinary to me, and um, 
what's involved with that watch and, and how that transpired on that duck hunt, which I was stupid enough to wear it duck hunting, but, um, you know, luckily it, it worked out. But um, that, and I, and I tried to relay in that, friend. I, I understand how people can read this story. And I know people are going to read it and have read it and probably said, uh, Bill, you know, you're reaching there a little bit. It's, these are coincidences. I understand all that, and that's fine. Um, you know, I was, I said this in the book, you know, I have a, a science degree from a major university, and I, and, and I understand all the scientific angles you can come at. Mm-hmm. Um, no no problem. But to me, I was there in, when that event with that watch happened, and um, I tried to relay the feelings I had when, when that transpired in that last chapter. And um, I, I hope I was able to do that because I'm I'm not just, I'm not going to buy that there's not something special about that uh, event and um, I thought it was I, worth relaying to people I told a lot of people that story who were close friends I didn't tell everybody but I told several not a lot but several close friends about that story and they they all thought it was extremely interesting and then I I told fewer about the story about my dad's picture um, I, mm-hmm. I, I told a very very few people about. You know, it's funny. Um, I don't have anything for my dad. I don't, well, the only thing I do I have is when I graduated it. college. I must have been 12 when I graduated. <laughs> Whatever. I was really young. I was. It was less than 18 when I graduated college. I was really smart, as they tell me. So I have a, a heart, diamond heart ring that I have in my hand that oh. my niece was dying for. I said, no, your grandfather gave that to me. The saddest part when you're talking about a ring or a watch is that I had a a synthetic sapphire that I always wore, and I went into an urgent care, and obviously it dropped off my finger, and somebody took oh. it. Oh, no. I called like two minutes later and said, this is me, you know, somebody took it. I know who took it. And it just breaks my heart because my father made it, especially oh. for me when I graduated college. He said, you're oh, the only one that's going to graduate, which is the truth. My sister went to business school, which is fine, and it was a very special ring because she said I was, you know, smart. And my mother said, oh, why did you make that for her? Because, you know, I worked my tail off for three years and graduated, you know, in three years mm. from college, where most people take 27 years, whatever, you know, to graduate. <laughs> so so last year I went in, last, last, last year I went into one of the jewelry stores and had myself made a real sapphire. And oh. with diamonds, but it's not the same. It's still not the same, but it's still my father's. So before we end the title, tell us the significance behind the title and your mother. I didn't well, the <laughs> the um the title comes from a weekend that I spent with my daughter, um, and it was mm-hmm. actually here at, at this old country store that I'm sitting there right now. And um, down here in the in the spring in May, we have honeysuckle that blooms all over the place, and and mm-hmm. um, there are there are two types of honeysuckle. Um, there blooms. One is white, and one is yellow, and the um, when you when you grow up down here in the country, you you learn at an early age to bite the end of the blooms off. You pick them off the vine, and you you bite the ends off, and you suck the nectar nectar out of the bloom. The yellow ones are usually sweeter than the white ones, and um, so I spent a a weekend with my daughter down here when she was five, and um, it 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 involved 
a lot of things that we did. The, the story, the title story, The Yellow Honeysuckle is the Sweetest, is one of the, the chapters in the book. And um, it revolves around that weekend that I spent with Sarah down here, and we did all kinds of stuff down here in the country. Mm. Um, one of those uh, involved honeysuckle and um, what uh, some words that Sarah spoke. I mean, she's only five years old at this time, but uh, the title comes from my daughter and what she described during that weekend that we spent together. And when I was looking for a title for the book, I was like, what am I going, you know, what do I call it? And then mm-hmm. I'm, obviously I'd written this story. And then I went back and I read this story, and there's one, I know you picked up on this, and I think other readers will too, but there's one paragraph in that story that I'd already written and in the story. And, and I, I reread that paragraph, and I was like, that's perfect. That's that's what I need to um uh, mm-hmm. Title the book, so that that's where it came from. It came from my daughter. My daughter, <laughs> my daughter uttered those words, and um, that's the title of the book. Well, let me read something to you that I I wrote this morning. I'm serious. <laughs> hmm. Where's my Where's my little notepad? The only re- way that a review doesn't get deleted on my computer, like everything else does, is if I write it on my notepad. So this is the first paragraph, I hope I got this right, of your review. Memories are treasured and precious as the author takes readers back in time to a childhood filled with family, love, unique adventures, and learning and real-life experiences he'll never forget. Each story is presented in different timelines, reliving the past and friendships that remained in the present. And there's more. That's how I started Mm -hmm. your review. Oh, that's, thank you so much, Fran. I I think that's what I tried to touch on. I appreciate you using those words. That means a lot to me. I appreciate that very much. Means, means that was at six o'clock me. in the morning. No, because I, I read you sound it. Sound like me. And I said, <laughs> yes. I'm missing something here. It's not perfect. I heard my mother's voice. So, oh. what do you hope readers learn from reading your stories? And are you writing something next? This is important, people. <laughs> well. Um, interesting question, and, and yes, I, I, you know, not to lecture people or, or demand that they learn something from any kind of reading, but I would say if there's any kind of um, thing that I would want people to take away from this, it would be this, and, I, and, and this is important to me, um, is how we've uh, tried to raise our daughter and, and, and be open to other people's uh, children too, but I think, first of all, Getting yourself, no matter it doesn't matter if you're if you're eight years old or a hundred eight mm-hmm. years old, but getting yourself out in nature and experiencing God's creations, um, mm-hmm. and looking at the birds, looking at the animals, looking at the trees, experiencing it doesn't have to be hunting and fishing. To me, it's hunting and fishing and and other things. I like to hike and just walk around too, but. If you're if you want to go canoeing, like I said earlier, or hiking, or or just bird watching, getting out, getting away from all this mess that we have in our lives day to day, and sitting down in quiet and peace, and watching the leaves turn in the fall, or watching the new green come out in the spring, or if you're lucky enough to hear a turkey gobble or see a wood duck um, in front of its baby wood ducks in the spring, or Anything, fish and catch some trout out of a stream, anything you can do, I think it gets you closer 
to the human being that you were designed to be. And I think it allows you to uh, find yourself and, and understand who you are. At least it has for me. And we tried to raise our daughter the same way. You know, she's involved in all kinds of things that every 19-year-old will be involved in. And, and she's off at school, and or she will be back mm-hmm. in the fall. But, you know, she has that. She's been raised in the in the woods and the fields, and um, to a certain extent, and I, she has that appreciation for nature, and I think she has a certain stability because of it, and I think it gives you that stability. So, to answer your question, I'd like people to take that away from my book that experiences in the outdoors can mean uh, so much to all of us, and if you can impact a a child early on with those experiences like I was. And I think it could be a lifetime of enjoyment for them. So I would want people to leave my book with, if no other thought, than than with that thought. Well, I have to tell you something, and don't think this is crazy. You know, I go out every morning, we take a walk while we take a ride, and this is really weird because we have the most beautiful trees, and I say good morning to them every day. (laughs) I really do. My husband oh, looks at I, me and I go, good morning, trees. You look beautiful. I hope you have a nice day. And I get upset when one of the trees has missing leaves or whatever. I actually named some of them, too. And he looks at me and says, what is wrong with you? I go, but they're so beautiful. And they make, you know, something, you get nervous, whatever. You, something bothers you. And I look at the trees and I go, well, it's going to be okay. And, and some of them are just so magnificent. And, of course, I get upset if anybody dares to look like they're going to hurt one or chop one down. <laughs> So where can everybody get this book? And everybody, I really think you need to read this. Well, thank you, Fran. It, it can. It's very simple. Um, it's on Amazon, and uh, the easiest thing to do is just you can either just go to Amazon and type in my name, Bill Fentress, uh, or you can mm-hmm. type in the yellow honeysuckle is the sweetest, and it'll pop right up. The you know the cover of the book pops up. It's me and Sarah walking down the road right beside where I'm sitting here right now. That's my grandparents' house. In the uh, excuse me, in the background is my grandparents' house on the cover of the book. Um, I'm also on Facebook, and you can go to at Bill Fentress, <clears throat> excuse me, at BillFentressAuthor.com. Um, you can also go to my website, uh, and that's basically BillFentress.com. It's https colon slash slash BillFentress.com slash, and that'll get you there um, also, and, and you can. There's actually some reviews from my launch team at, on my website also and some videos that, that some people could watch too. But any one of those locations, to get the book, you just have to go on Amazon. It pops right up, and um, it's, you know, it's very simple. Well, don't worry about it because in five minutes I'll have it on my Just Reviews, and whenever I post something for some reason in five minutes, everybody reads it. I don't know oh, why, but good. they do. So thank you so much. I'm jealous that you're sitting. There was used to be an old country store in Monticello where we used to go for the country. So we used to walk there and stuff like that. So those are really fantastic experiences. Everybody, it's a beautiful world out there. It's about time you started to appreciate it and stop being so sour. This is beautiful. This has been really the highlight of my day. Thank you so much, Bill. And if you write something else, make sure I get it. Everybody, have a great day. Stay safe and bye. Thank you, Fran. Bye-bye.